experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. The market continues to bounce around. Over the last week, it's given up some slight gains, and I still remain cautious. I'm not saying sell everything and run for the hills, but I don't think you want to be buying willy-nilly here. I know it's tempting. All you see is the names that have been working continue to work. But I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of pullback, although I think it'd be rather limited in scope if we do get one. And I'll get to that in a second. First, let me give you the reason why, or a couple of reasons why, I'm short-term cautious. And then I'll give you why I think the path at least there's the path of least resistance for the market is higher over the next six to 12 months. Last week, I said day trading, the speculative crowd is making me nervous. Don't get me wrong. I don't have anything against these folks, but speculation spelled another way is, well, just gambling. And that's okay with a small part of your portfolio. You just don't want to do it with all your retirement dollars. To me, it's just a big game of musical chairs, financial style. Everyone dances around the stock of the day while the music's playing. And when it ends, yeah, there are a few winners, but mostly everyone else ends up on their backside. Usually starts out pretty innocently, buy a couple of shares of makeitgohigher.com. And what do you know? It does. But bam, you're thinking I'm a stock market genius. Let me do this again. I made 100% on that last one. I'm going to buy a little bit more this time. And then ba bam. It worked again. And you're thinking, I got this all figured out. Why work when I can do this? I'm going to go all in on the next one. And well, you know, and they do. And of course, we all know what happens then. Day trading is getting a fair amount of press right now, but I don't think it's all that rampant, to be honest with you. Nothing like it was during the dot-com days, but still it's making me a little bit edgy. So it's something to keep our eye on. Now, under this What's making Eric nervous tab? Let's put the VIX under there. If you're not familiar with the VIX, it's what I call the fear gauge. When the market goes higher, investors are feeling pretty good. And then the VIX goes down and vice versa. When the market goes down, the VIX should go up because people are thinking, well, the market's going to crash. Pretty straightforward, right? At least that's how it's theoretically supposed to work. But over the last week or so, we've had up days in the market coinciding with up days in the VIX. And then we've had down days in the market coinciding with down days in the VIX. It's like upside down world. This has happened before. It happened back in February, just before the market peaked. Now, it could certainly just be a fluke, but since late 2017, every time this breakdown occurred, the market suffered a setback. According to BCA research, when you have a VIX rating at 35, which is where it, near where it is now, it implies that the S&P is expected to trade between 10.1% lower or 10%, 10.1% higher. Think about that for a minute. Okay, that's the bummer type stuff. Let's talk about why I think the path of least resistance for the market is higher over the next 6 to 12 months. Now, I've talked all about the stimulus coming on the monetary and fiscal side of things, so I'm not going to bore you with more of that. Suffice it to say, there's the proverbial 
boatload of cash out there looking for a home, and that home is likely to go uh, going to be in stocks. We'll likely get another phase four stimulus package here soon. Well, at least by the time this one runs out at the end of July. So to this fiscal, fiscal and monetary stimulus thesis, let me also add in a declining dollar. Over the last few weeks, the dollar has been declining, which makes sense. We're printing more dollars and the more there is of something, well, the less it's worth. Simple supply and demand. Why do I think this is good? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you have other questions or you need help, let us know. You can email us at podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com, or give us a call, 571-261-7670. Okay, why do I think a declining dollar is good? Historically, when you've had an ample supply of dollars, it served as a catalyst for reigniting global growth. And who doesn't like a little global growth, right? A depreciating dollar should help the market's earnings. About 40 to 45% of S&P 500 earnings comes from overseas. So a lower dollar means more sales and hopefully more earnings. In an effort to help you plan and use history as a guide, if the dollar does continue its path lower, the sectors that have done the best in the past have been the technology names, along with the consumer staples and the energy stocks. The ones that have done the worst are the financials, which I'll get to in a second, the utilities and the telecom service stocks. This doesn't mean that history is going to repeat itself. It just means that this is what's happened in the past. Technology has done well as a whole in the past because nearly 60% of the revenues come from overseas, which is about 15% more than the S&P 500. So you should see a higher boost to their earnings if this holds true, especially software and software services. Energy. Well, 51% of their revenues, of that sector's revenues, come from overseas. Nearly all global oil trade is done in dollars, and that should put a floor under oil prices. Now, the financials, or let me be more specific, the banks. The banks are more domestically oriented, so a declining dollar shouldn't help them all that much. I've been more optimistic on the banks coming off the bottom, but I'm less enthusiastic about them now. To put it in big brokerage parlance, I've gone from an overweight to a neutral. It's not just the declining dollar, but there are a few other reasons along with it. First, I'm concerned that the Fed may force the banks to cut or suspend their dividend to preserve capital as the economy continues to recover. Second, the Democrats sweep the elections. Well, that would be bad for banking stocks. And lastly, I find it a little bit disconcerting that following nearly a month-long rebound from, say, early May, from the early May trough, the banks haven't been very responsive to a steepening yield curve. So I'm a little bit worried. So what do I like now? Well, I talked about Raytheon last week or the week before. It's symbol RTX. It's about 64 as I'm sitting here speaking, paying about a 3% dividend. I like RTX at about 60. The current Raytheon, well, it's a result of a merger between United Technologies Aerospace Business 
in the old Raytheon. So now what you have is a powerhouse in both the commercial aerospace and defense contracting business. And what's unique here is that the company is pretty evenly balanced between commercial aerospace and defense contracting. Most other companies in the industry are heavily skewed one way or another. At about sixteen or $60, it would be trading about seven times cash flow, which is how, which is how I think you should look at this. It's a cash flow business. So it would be trading about seven times cash flow with the five-year average being about 17 times cash flow. So if you think, at, think of it like that, it's pretty darn cheap. So RTX is one I'd put on my list to look at. And well, you can see if it makes sense for your portfolio. You always need to do your own research. I mentioned CarMax last week uh, in passing, symbol KMX. CarMax is a stock I've talked about in the past and one that we own. And I don't think it's a buy now, but I did want to mention it because they announced their earnings last week. And I have to say, I thought they were exceptional, all things considered. They had over 80% of their quarter affected by the coronavirus lockdown, and yet they still reported a small profit. Same store sales fell 40 to 45%, but they reopened faster than expected, and they leveraged their omni-channel sales system. All in all, I thought they did a terrific job managing through it all, and I'd continue to hold on to this one if you have it. I am. What else? If you're looking for exposure to healthcare, I take a look at Merck, symbol MRK. I think folks have spent a lot of time focusing on the biotech names and the race to find a cure or a vaccine, and they've overlooked some of the other names like Merck. To me, Merck looks inexpensive at about 14 times earnings, and it's paying more than a 3% dividend. Okay, that's all we have time for today. We'll be back next week, then the week after. July 4th. Uh, We'll take off that week for the holiday, but we'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. It's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.